Castella de Pod. <laughs> Castella de Pod. <laughs> if she doesn't scare you, no evil thing. Wad. <laughs> I was like, is he going to go there? Is he going to say wad? <laughs> I did. I mean, what else? What else are you going to do? Yep. That's very funny. It, there, there's no good way to put podcast in that song. There isn't a line later where there's like a funny two syllable word I could replace. <sighs> but you can't not do the song. All right. For sure. The other two songs in this are uh, pretty meaningless. Although I do have to say we do have a sponsor right up top who we need to talk about. And I'm going to go ahead and play their ad now. Canine Quenchies can't be beat. <laughs> Make EJ a special treat. <laughs> Happy dogs are those who eat nutritious canine quenchies. <laughs> uh, now, see, you've got to... I much prefer the version that I had on my old record. I had this record for 101 Dalmatians, and it's a completely different version of the commercial where they go, Oh, canine crunchies can't be beat. It makes each meal a special treat. <laughs> Happy uh... dogs are those who eat nutritious canine crunchies. <laughs> uh, from the makers of Triple Dent Gum, that's for sure. <laughs> and Feline Finchies? That was at the end of the commercial on the record. There was also a record that came out in 1961. We're just talking about the Canine Crunchies song now in our longest cold open ever. There's also a version recorded in 1961 that has Thunderbolt, the TV star dog, saying... Out here on the ranch, every dog gets tired and winded, but I find there's less feet dragging and more tail wagging after a meal of canine crunchies. Yeah, that's actually part of the the version on my record. I must have been the one you had then. Yeah. And speaking of champions, <laughs> the champion of all podcasts is this one, which is starting now. And welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon, talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it or don't. When I was doing a test uh, recording, you know, make sure all the audio was set up, mm -hmm. I said, what it was made, how it means. <laughs> Which does not make a lot of sense. My name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined, as always, by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello, Isaac. Hello. And uh, of course, I do just want to remind everyone to use promo code MOMMOUSE <laughs> at caninecrunchies.snack <laughs> for 10% off the shipping of your first order. This <laughs> week on the program, we are continuing the Silver Era. Starting to get into the home stretch here. These last three movies are kind of of a piece. This is the post... You can really divide this into the pre-Sleeping Beauty era and the post-Sleeping Beauty era. It's true. And this is, of course, 1961's 101 Dalmatians, directed by Clyde Geronimi, Hamilton Luska, and Wolfgang Reitherman. Now, one thing that is interesting to me about this movie, because, you know, we spent a lot of time in our first episode, famously so, talking about the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah. So the original book that this is based on, the Dodie Smith uh, novel. Yes. Serialized novel from 1956 was called The 101 Dalmatians. Yes, it was. This movie is called Spelled Out 101 Dalmatians. Now, it's listed uh -huh. on Disney Plus with the numbers instead of the words. Right. But originally it was the words, and that's still where it's... That's like its proper name. Yep, that's what it says in the opening credits. Yep. 
But then the live action movie is 101 Dalmatians. It's the numbers. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to me. I don't think it means much of anything, (laughs) but it is funny that they slightly changed the name. Yeah, I do think it's funny that that it's 100 and 1. It's very ungrammatical. And is a decimal point, you know, when you're saying a number out loud. You don't know when you're saying a number? Like if you're writing a check. If you were to write 100 and 1, that would be $100 and 1 cent. So what is it supposed to be? 101 Dalmatians? Yes. That, yes, that, that would be grammatically correct. That's horrific. <laughs> the word and indicates the decimal point in a number when you write it Get out. Get this out. Didn't you ever learn? What did you, what do they teach you in these schools? <laughs> <laughs> stuff we might ever use i think by and large I know, nobody ever has to write checks anymore <laughs> right this was an important part of my learning we all got in trouble if we put the and in the wrong place when i was in elementary school yeah and you know what i was probably the last generation to learn cursive so <laughs> there's that yeah. Which I still use all the time. Right now, I'm looking at my notes, which were written in cursive, because that's how you write fast. Yep. But I was reading about this. I mean, cursive was already on the way out, but now that it's remote learning, you can't remotely learn cursive. So (laughs) that's just been, like, dropped from the curriculum. Yeah. Which is fine. Mm -hmm. I mean... Learn typing. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. The world turns, uh, and we're all going to die, and... Mom, (laughs) what does the movie 101... (laughs) I always say 101. That's the other thing. I say 101. Uh-huh. And it's 101 in this movie. And I think the reason mm. why, this was definitely a VHS trailer. And the big moment in the VHS trailer is the part where Roger goes, 101! Exactly. But what does the film 101, <laughs> 100.1 Dalmatians, <laughs> mean to you? What does it mean to you? Obviously, as I said, we had the record for this movie, so I listened to the record quite a bit long before I ever saw the movie. When I did see the movie, it probably wasn't until much later compared to some of these other ones recent that we've been talking about recently, because it wasn't released on VHS until 92. So I was already a teenager, and I had obviously at that point heard the record so many times, I remember being really shocked when I first saw it, and the K9 Crunchies commercial is that little tinny voice. It was not what I expected. Do you know who that voice is? The little tiny one? Yeah, the squeaky voice. Do you know who that actor is who sang that? I do not recall. She was also the voice of Anastasia in uh, Cinderella. Ha ha ha. So there you She's go. not the one who sang it on the record <laughs> that I had. I don't know why they had the separate version for the record. I do know why. Oh? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you later. Okay. We had the book by Dodie Smith. My mom loved that book. So she owned that book and the sequel, The Starlight Barking. And I had read both of those books several times. We also had movie merchandise puzzles that were originally my mom's and that I then played with when I was a kid. And probably even you and your brother played with at some point when we were visiting them. I remember playing with them. I remember them so distinctly. There was even at least one of them had one piece missing from the puzzle. It was just lost you know, for some time, long time before I ever even played with the puzzles. And somebody had actually colored in the space in the tray, like, don't even bother looking for this piece. It's gone. This is the one that's missing. (laughs) I see. I don't know if I have a specific relationship to this movie. I do own the book, but apparently you never read it. I don't think I ever read the book. 
Did we have this on VHS? Was this a clamshell? I'm actually not sure, so I think it probably wasn't. Yes, we did, but I will tell you why you wouldn't have seen it very many times. We bought it as a VHS, and your dad and I watched it and went, Ooh, if we let the boys watch this all the time, they are going to imitate Cruella and the Baddens and call each other names. The word idiot is said in that movie so many times. Yeah. And she slaps them, and we were like, oh, no, no. We actually put the movie away in our closet, Uh, where you guys wouldn't see it. Oh, I remember this now. So that you wouldn't ask to watch it. And we didn't let you guys watch it till you were quite a bit older. I don't remember how old you were when we let you watch it and have it as a regular, like, you can just watch it whenever. But we did hide it for quite a while because we were like... We don't need that. Fair enough. <laughs> we don't need those fights. <laughs> Fair enough. Forbidden Disney treasure. Exactly. Well, whenever I did see it, I liked it. And that's really the relationship I have. Like, I've always enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. Watch it again last night and was like, I enjoyed this movie. Yeah. That's it. Well, you know, you're old enough to know that it's not nice to call people <laughs> names all the time. It's also not nice to kill <laughs> over 100 dogs. I mean, that's... Yeah. It's <laughs> a lot not to emulate. But uh, no, I, I can I can see how that would have been an issue. It's a fun little movie. It's fairly insubstantial, in my opinion, especially compared to Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. But of the Silver Era dog movies, I feel like I have more of a connection to this one than Lady and the Tramp. And having mm-hmm. now watched both close to each other, I do like it more than Lady and the Tramp. Although Lady and the Tramp looks way better, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's a fun little adventure film. Cruella DeVille, greatest of all time. We'll talk about her. Yeah, I think the fact that it has such a good villain in Cruella helps make it a better movie than Lady and the Tramp in a way. Yes, I do think so. Because Lady and the Tramp doesn't really have a villain and they're just kind of like messing around. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about it. That movie doesn't have a ton of plot. And the central sort of story is a romance that's pretty thin. Mm -hmm. But this movie has has it all. Has romance, has dog murder, has canine crunchies. (laughs) It is more of an adventure film. It, it, like, jokes aside, it, it, I was thinking about it and I was like, what genre would I put this in? And I would kind of, I would call it an adventure movie. Mm -hmm. It's not really a comedy. Yeah. It's certainly not a musical. No. One of the fewest amount of songs in any of these animated canon movies. Pretty sure it's the least of what we watched so far. Yes. Because like the actual least are a bunch of the later movies just don't have songs. It really only has one major song. Correct. It has three songs total because it has Cruella DeVille, Canine Crunchies, and Dalmatian Plantation. But those last two are like blink and you miss it moments. They are two lines and they're done. Right. Cruella DeVille is the only song that's anything. (laughs) The thing about this music is that the songs with words were written by Mel Levin, who also composed the music. Mm -hmm. George Bruns, who we talked about last week, did the score. Yep. Which is a great score. It is a great score. And there's one piece in particular we'll talk about when we get to it. But of course it's a great score. George Bruns, undefeated. Mm -hmm. Mel Levin actually wrote six songs. He wrote Cruella de Vil, Canine Crunchy's Jingle, Dalmatian Plantation. And he wrote different longer versions of the Crunchy's Jingle and Dalmatian Plantation. That is what you heard on your record. Yes. Is his longer original version that got 
Mm -hmm. shortened in the movie because you're not gonna watch a three-minute commercial that's very strange (laughs) mel he also wrote don't buy a parrot from a sailor which was supposed to be a cockney chant sung by jasper and horace (laughs) he wrote a song called cheerio goodbye toodaloo hip hip which was going to be sung by the dalmatian puppies as they make their way into london (laughs) and a third song titled march of the 101 was going to be the dogs would sing it after escaping Cruella by van. I see. So not when they're marching. Very strange, Mel. (laughs) It's all very strange. Yeah. And he also wrote three different versions for Cruella de Vil because that was his first assignment was write a villain song. Mm -hmm. uh, And the song Cruella de Vil specifically was in the script. Yeah. I don't know if the exact lyrics were. I believe they were not. But it was like brackets. Roger sings a mean song (laughs) about Cruella de Vil. Uh, It's great, though. Oh, of course. Of course it's great. Come on. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, last week when we were talking about, you know, what Disney movie has the best music, and I said that this might be in the running. Yeah. It's because I remember the one song. <laughs> it's a great song. So, the history of this movie, the script, as mentioned. Dodie Smith writes The 101 Dalmatians in 1956. Mm-hmm. It was originally titled... The Great Dog Robbery? Yeah. Is that a better name? I really like that name, but I guess 101 (laughs) Dalmatians is pretty good too. So she published this in 1956. It was a pretty big hit. Walt Disney read it and was immediately like, oh, this would be a great anime movie, and he bought the rights. I saw that she actually was hoping he would buy the rights. Yes, indeed. She was kind of secretly hoping that he would make it into a film, which is probably the first time that happened. Yeah. You know, because obviously this is... Maybe not the first, but this is like one of the first movies we've talked about that did not originate during or before the war. It's true. Most of the other things, the idea for them originated right around that time, even if they didn't come to fruition till much later. But this one didn't even get written until the mid-50s as a, right, exactly. as a book. So it couldn't even have been an idea until after that. And it's interesting that we've finally gotten to where Disney animated movies have been around long enough that an author could be like, I bet this would make a great Disney film. Yes, and good for her. And obviously she was right. Mm-hmm. So Walt assigned Bill Peet to write the story. Bill Peet is an important guy who we're going to also talk about in Sword in the Stone and Jungle Book. Yep. But also a lot of the information about him and a lot of the information from the creation of this movie comes from his autobiography, Mm -hmm. which I have read enough of to be skeptical of. (laughs) Like the part in his autobiography where he sends Dodie Smith some drawings of the characters and she writes back saying that he had improved her story and that the designs... His designs looked better than the illustrations in the book. There's a lot of a lot of this book is like Walt Disney saying he's the greatest, coolest guy ever. <laughs> and also arguments where I was right and Walt was wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, maybe. Maybe. Taking some of this with a grain of salt, what is definitely true is Disney hired him to write the story. This was the first time the story for a Disney animated film was written by a single person. He wrote it by hand because he never learned to use a typewriter, which is Mm. just a funny detail. Yes. And it seems like pretty much his first script was more or less the finished movie. And he also helped storyboard it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's pretty much it as far as the origination of this movie. Now, Sleeping Beauty comes out, a little movie we talked about last week. Mm, A big movie. (laughs) A big movie. Yes, that 
That's a joke. And uh, a big failure as well. Yeah. To the point that Roy starts being like, we got to close down the animation department. The live action movies are doing great. Mary Poppins is about to be a huge deal. That really kind of cements. And it's even more after this movie is when Roy is like, let's shut it down. I mean, they did let a ton of people go after Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, there, there are successful live action movies. There's Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So they're like, forget this MA movie. Sleeping mm -hmm. Beauty was a nightmare. Everyone hated it. It didn't make money. The critics haven't liked us that much for a while. Let's just give up on it. Yeah. And Walt himself was starting to talk about shutting down the studio. As you say, there were massive layoffs. Yeah. But he couldn't quite let go of it. Because, I mean, of course, he, like, started as an animator. Animation was his whole thing. Yep. And he really did kind of love Sleeping Beauty. Like, mm -hmm. he understands that it's a failure... And he can't really enjoy it because it was such a nightmare to work on. Mm -hmm. And it made everyone miserable and everybody kind of hated him. But that's what he wanted. Yeah. So Ub Iwerks, who I've looked up YouTube videos how to pronounce it. I believe his name was in fact Ub Iwerks. Yep. With a name like that, not surprising that he is a <laughs> uh, native of, let me look this up, Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> Up Iwerks, uh, he was a guy who was in charge of special processes at the studio. And he's an incredibly important figure in Disney history. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, he's actually designed Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and created the design for Mickey Mouse based on a sketch by Walt. <laughs> but he, like, created the actual design we know today. Walt just, yeah. like, I don't know, drew three circles on a napkin and was like, make this a character. <laughs> Uh, and there's, I mean, there's been a lot of contention about especially the Mickey Mouse character, but undeniably an incredibly important figure in the history of Disney. At yeah. this point, he was in charge of special processes, and he had been experimenting with Xerox, the photocopy machine. Ooh. He basically developed a process by which animation didn't have to be inked, mm -hmm. and they could lay off all of their all of the like inkers working on the movie by just Xeroxing the drawings by animators directly to the animation cells. Yeah. We haven't really talked a ton about the process, but they would have to, the animators would draw the drawings. Then they would send it to the ink and paint department where they would have to trace the drawings by inking them onto the cells, then paint the cells. It was, you know, extensive. And that doesn't right. even count the backgrounds. <laughs> And this removes a huge piece of that process. It yeah. also ended up removing uh, the ink and paint department. Well, they still had to paint the cells. But I do believe they fired all of the inkers, or a lot of them. They did. That was like the layoffs. It definitely shrunk the department quite a bit. Now, the Xerox process is actually used in Sleeping Beauty for part of the Thorn Forest. Mm -hmm. And it was used for a short. And Ken Anderson, who was an art director and writer at the studio, was like, we could make a whole movie with this. We could make 101 Dalmatians, which is in pre-production now with this. Mm-hmm. And Walt was apparently so disenchanted that he replied, ah, yeah, yeah, you can fool around all you want to. <laughs> Just like, whatever. Yeah, to do a movie with a 101 dogs, you kind of need a process like that. <laughs> Maybe. Unless I mean, you're wanting to take years and years and years to draw every single Dalmatian. Cause... Right, exactly. You could take nine years like Sleeping Beauty and mm -hmm. then you could just do it. Yeah. And basically that's what they did. 
And that's why the animation in this looks very, very different. The line work looks so different yeah. because it's not ink lines. It, it gives that black kind of scratchy outline. Mm -hmm. There's parts in this movie where you can actually see like sketch lines. Like there's definitely yeah. a part with Pongo where you can see the big circle that, and I'm not a great artist, but I like studied art for a while. I wanted to like make comics. So I studied like how to draw comics and how to draw characters. Yeah. And you draw a big circle for like characters shoulders. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you draw over it, but like, that's a guide line that you kind of draw. You can actually see that on Pongo a couple times <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. You can see those kind of sketch lines. Where yeah, it's like, and sometimes on his face. Yes, because it's all photocopies. Mm -hmm. A lot of people actually really like this style. There are people now who will talk about the Xerox style of animation as being their favorite visual era of Disney. Yeah. Personally, don't think I agree with that. Mm -hmm. It is an interesting look. Yeah. At the time, it was very much a cost-saving measure, and Disney hated it. <laughs> Absolutely despised it, as much as he said, like, oh, I don't really care. You ever have a boss like this, folks? <laughs> he's like, I don't really care, and then you do it, and he's like, I hate this, I hate you. He cursed out Anderson and the animation staff in a meeting where they were talking about future films. He said, we're never going to have another one of those curse word things. And Ken's never going to be an art director again. And he was just like absolutely furious. Yeah. He apologized to Ken Anderson only a few weeks before he died when he was already sick. That's mm. what it took for him to be like, fine, I guess 101 Dalmatians was okay. <laughs> I can't say it's my favorite technique either, but I do think it works for this movie. Right, this is a very scaled down movie right. in general. Like it's a it's a more simplistic story, and again, it gives it this nice, unique look. It gives it this storybook quality for sure. Mm -hmm. But of course, Walt liked the paintings. I mean, that was the whole thing with Sleeping Beauty. Right. He was like, "I want to make movies that look like you're living in a painting the entire time." And then they made one, and nobody liked it. <laughs> and then eventually, everybody liked it. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm with you. I think Sleeping. We talked about it last week. Sleeping Beauty is the best looking film possibly that we will discuss. <laughs> so like, yeah, I kind of agree. But also you can't do that again. Financial realities. Oh, understandable. So they needed a technique and a process that would save them money. And this did. They were able to complete the film for about half of what it would have cost if they'd had to animate everything the old way. Right. Which means, of course, that it could make a lot more money. Yes. In terms of the casting, none of these are actors that are like super well known where I'm like, oh, we I, I feel like we have to talk about it. Uh, there's a lot of good actors here. They yeah. deliberately cast dogs with lower voices than the humans so the dogs would have more power. <laughs> I think the performance of Rod Taylor as Pongo is uh, especially really, really good. Yeah. And he's uh, an actor of note. In general, there's some of our pals in this, like some of the actors who've been in other things, including I did not realize while we were watching Barbara Luddy is one of the dogs. Oh, <laughs> she's Rover, one of the 84 Dalmatian puppies that Corella bought. Don't ask me which one. <laughs> Probably the one that says, oh, we're bought and paid for. <laughs> I don't could be. There's a few yeah. There's a few, like, voiced uh, puppies of the 84, but right. yes, she could she could be that one. Who knows? The most important casting, of course, was Betty Lou Gerson as Cruella DeVille. Oh, yeah. She was a voice actress. She was primarily active in radio, as a voice actor would be at this time. Mm -hmm. 
And she really, really committed to the performance, as well she should. Oh, yeah. And she really, it's really interesting to hear her talk about it, how she landed on, quote, a phony theatrical voice, someone who set sail from New York but hasn't quite reached England. <laughs> so she she had a Southern accent, and she tried to kind of, like, be someone with a Southern accent faking an English accent. <laughs> Like, she deliberately tried to do that rather than a real English accent, which is a really interesting character choice. And the design, uh, Cruella de Vil was animated by Mark Davis. He actually changed the design of the character based on her performance. (laughs) Betty Lou Gerson had big cheekbones. Ah. (laughs) So that was one thing he added. Now, Betty Lou Gerson had pretty big cheekbones, still looked like a human being. (laughs) She didn't have (laughs) handlebars. On her cheeks. Coming out of her face like Cruella. Yeah. But uh. he said, quote, that her voice was the greatest thing I've ever had a chance to work with. A voice like Betty Lou's gives you something to do. You get a performance going there, and if you don't take advantage of it, you're off your rocker. <laughs> and he looked at a bunch of fashion magazines from the 40s and tried to exaggerate the fashion, doing, you know, some of the crazy hair and some of the crazy designs. and Yeah. All this good stuff, and it's a good movie. Uh, it was a huge hit. It was. It grossed $14 million and was made for less than $4 million. <laughs> uh, and they just kept re-releasing it in the box office, and it kept making more and more money. Yep. It was also the number one film of the year in France the year it was released, which is okay. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, pointless fact. <laughs> But it made a ton of money, and it was hugely well-received. It got the best reviews since Snow White. Just so strange to think about now. I think it really, you know, what I've been talking about the past several weeks when we talk about the critics is, like, they just did not understand or appreciate animation at all. Exactly. I feel like that's what this is. You know, we look at it and we're like, well, this is a lot more cheaply animated. It's not wartime era movie, but, you know, you can definitely see, you know, some of the weird looks. Mm -hmm. But they, they liked the story of it. Yeah, that's really what they're looking at, I think. Yes. And a lot of people at the time praised it for being more grounded, which is... I guess it is more grounded than, like, Sleeping Beauty in that no one turns into a dragon. Yeah. But Cruella DeVille. She's not realistic at all. <laughs> she could not exist in our world. Yeah. She's an alien mm-hmm. who's landed from space. Mm-hmm. I tend to agree more with Roger Ebert's much, much later 1991 review. I've cited Ebert before. I'll probably cite him again, see if I don't. <laughs> Who said, quote, it's an uneven film with moments of inspiration in a fairly conventional tale of kidnapping and rescue. This is not one of the great Disney classics, but it's passable fun and will entertain its target family audiences. That's pretty much where I land. (laughs) Might be a little nicer than passable fun, but yeah. And that's pretty much it. It was a cheap movie and it was a big success. And immediately after its success, Walt announced two more animated films. And Roy was like, no, please. (laughs) And uh, Walt was like, how about I do anyway? Yeah. And that was that. And we'll talk about the two films he announced next week. You might be surprised to find that they were not Sword in the Stone and Jungle Book. (laughs) I don't have anything else to share about the context of this movie. No, I think you pretty much covered it. You can dive into a quick review of the uh, synopsis of the movie itself. That's usually what we do in the second part of our podcast. (laughs) So I think now's the time to do it. 
Indeed. The opening credits are very different. Yeah, I really like these credits. I think they're the most fun credits we've had so far. There are no lyrics to the credit song. It's just silly opening credits with Dalmatians and Dalmatian spots. The lyrics are brackets, George Bruns goes nuts. Yep, yep, yep. Very just jazzy overture type music. It has a very Saul Bass feel, even though it is not Saul Bass. Mm -hmm. One of the first things I noticed watching this was just the square aspect ratio, which makes sense. (laughs) Because one thing I forgot to mention last week is that Cinderella, or Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty was more than seven miles of film yeah because it was ultra super widescreen and just because there was so much of it Mm -hmm. so yeah they were like "Mm, what if we make it a square (laughs) what if it goes back to being the old aspect ratio we don't have to draw as much number one every theater can play it yeah thus we might make some money (laughs) and it worked this is another movie set in the contemporary time for when it was released Which we haven't had since Dumbo. Yes, indeed. We get 1960s London. Yep. Which feels delightfully old-fashioned now. Of course. (laughs) So it's it's funny to think about. It is funny to think about. I really enjoy the opening narration, even though it, it feels pretty obvious where the bit's going to go. But it's this great opening narration by, again, the wonderful actor Rod Taylor. And, uh, of course, you think it's the human... If you're a child, I guess. <laughs> and it is in Pongo talking about his pet, Roger. Yep. Roger's last name in this movie is Radcliffe. And I just wanted to comment on it because in the book, it's Deerly, which presumably they didn't use because, you know, they'd had Jim Deer and Darling and Lady and the Tramp. And they'd had exactly. the Darlit Wittings in Peter Pan. So having the Deerlies would have been weird. But in the live action movie later, they'd use Deerly again. Interesting. Yes, indeed. And Roger is content to be a bachelor forever. Mm-hmm. He's a musician. He lives in a grody bachelor pad. Yep. But Pongo, he doesn't want that. He's looking for love. And he also thinks that his uh, he would should find love mm-hmm. and maybe clean the dang house. <laughs> or the dang flat. I love the scene where Pongo is looking at the women and their dogs walking by and assessing them as potential mates. One of the most famous sequences, uh, of course, is the the women who look like their dogs. They move the same. They are colored the same. And I do, I wrote down, I like the backgrounds here, even though they are flat Mm -hmm. and way less detailed than (laughs) Sleeping Beauty or even several of the other films. They use color sparsely in this movie, but they use it really well. It's true. You don't have to have every movie be Sleeping Beauty so detailed, so rich and inspiring. You can have, you know, a basic sketch outline giving you the idea without it being super detailed. I think there's room for both. Yeah. Even if I really love Sleeping Beauty better, but that's okay. (laughs) For all of the crap that Ken Anderson got, this is a good pairing of story and style. Yes, I I think so too. But eventually he sees uh, Perdita and... Anita. Thank you. Perdita and Anita. (laughs) Miss and Miss not appearing in this film. (laughs) Or barely present in this film. And he sets up a meet cute. This is one of the more overtly comedic scenes in the movie, of course. Yeah. He ties up their legs with a leash, all kinds of stuff. They fall in the pond. Yes. And that is when they actually form a connection because they're laughing about how wet they are and how drenched their handkerchiefs are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is that nice little... Meet cute moment. And also, Perdita just seems to be down immediately. (laughs) Once her human is okay and laughing, then she's like, 
All right. <laughs> I mean, she even notices him at first when they first walk past. She's like, I love when they're walking past the girls and they kind of give him the side eye like, mm? Yes. <laughs> Checking him out. <laughs> yeah. And then they have uh, a very <laughs> sad wedding that nobody comes to. <laughs> Which I assume is another cost-saving measure. Yeah. If you don't have anybody in the uh, audience, you don't have to draw them. And they're not wearing fancy clothes or anything. And I don't know if that's part of the uh, post-war in Britain still. But basically, we have a wedding with both the humans and the dogs. It's very cute. Yes, there's also dog marriage. Yes. Everybody wants to go. (laughs) (laughs) Dog marriage. Everybody in the know. (laughs) I'm not explaining that. That's a joke you either get or you don't. <laughs> oh, man. I guess, you know, she's like, oh, so your whole family died in the Blitz too? Mine as well. How convenient. We'll send an invitation to the dogs. <laughs> oh, so then they set up in a in a new flat. And a housekeeper. Nanny the housekeeper. Which maybe that's what you needed, Pongo. Maybe you just needed to get him a housekeeper. <laughs> And finally, Perdita says something. It's true. Finally, you actually learn her name. Right. Now we have our first mom status. Perdita is expecting. That's right. And Roger is whistling a little tune. He's working on a song. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's uh, cracked the melody. It is that nice little moment where Anita's teasing him. They do just enough to make these two feel like real people. Yeah. Even though you don't get a lot of them because they're not the main characters, you can feel their connection. Yes. And Anita's old schoolmate is coming to visit. Mm -hmm. And her old schoolmate is uh, Devil McSatan. (laughs) It is, of course, Cruella Deville. Yes. Cruella Deville. And Roger's like, ooh, perfect. The words for my song. (laughs) Perfect. I'll write a mean song about your friend. Yeah. And play it passive aggressively during your entire meeting with her. Mm -hmm. And then using a trombone aggressive aggressively. (laughs) It might be my favorite scene in the movie. This there's one other scene that I kind of labeled as my favorite. But this is Probably the best. It's the one I remember Mm -hmm. the best. It's the iconic scene. The introduction of Cruella de Vil. You have to have this scene be good because it sets her up. Her design is so crazy too because she looks really big, but it's all her fur coat. Right. She is so skinny and scrawny and has like no meat on her bones. Her hair is big. Her coat is big. She's scrawny. <laughs> it's a perfect idea because in this, Cruella DeVille is not, as she would be in every later version, basically, a fashion icon. She doesn't yeah. work in fashion. She loves for what she yep. is, is old money. <laughs> no, seriously. Like yeah. the one kind of bit of backstory we get is that there's this ancestral hall. Yeah, out in the country. Hell hall. <laughs> So she's old money and she spends it on furs because she loves them. And she has nothing else in her life. All she has is consumption. And so it's this great visual idea of, oh, the furs, like they give, you know, they make her life full. They give a meaning, but actually she's this scary (laughs) stick lady. Yeah. And Mark Davis, the sole animator who worked on Cruella, really knows when to show you how skinny she is (laughs) and when to make her look big. Yeah. It's a really, really smart design. And of course, she has the crazy handlebar cheekbones. (laughs) She has the crazy hair. Yeah. Everything about her looks insane. 
Yep. When she comes in spewing green smoke. I know. Like she's the Chernobyl disaster or something. <laughs> it's funny because there's so much smoking in this movie. Roger has a pipe. She has her cigarette. Later, somebody's smoking a cigar. I think it's Jasper. And yet it's her smoke that looks green and disgusting. <laughs> Roger's pipe is like a third lip. Yeah. A fifth limb, yeah. I guess. Roger's pipe is an incredibly important part of his character and mm-hmm. his movement. Mm-hmm. It's how he points at things. It's how he gestures. Yep. It is to him what Corella's giant fur coat is to her. <laughs> anyway, for some reason, Anita is friends with this person. <laughs> yep. It's an old schoolmates thing, I guess, that we don't have these days. And she's asking about where the puppies are. I definitely <laughs> don't want to kill them. <laughs> Very blatant. That's a crazy thing about this movie. There really can't be overstated. This is a movie about a woman <laughs> who is going to first kill and then skin 99 puppies. So baby dogs. Mm-hmm. Specifically, she has been acquiring for the purposes of murder to make a coat. Yep. I guess there's not too much to say about it, but it is truly an insane premise. It's insane that this is a kid's film and not like NC-17, the scariest thing you've ever seen in your life. Well, that would be if she actually ended up killing and skinning any of them. Because they escape and she doesn't actually kill any of them, then it's okay. It's a very impressive balancing act of tone that that can be what the villain is up to in this movie. And somehow it's like, oh, she's funny. The movie is charming. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so sweet. She wants to kill dogs and everybody leaves this movie being like, that Cruella DeVille was the best part. <laughs> Amazing. She is the most compelling part of this movie. And it's kind of good that the rest of the film is so grounded so that she can be the craziest thing in it. Yeah, very over the top. Her ridiculous driving, her ridiculous look, the fact that her name is Corella DeVille and she lived at Hell Hall. It's tremendous. Mm-hmm. And the song is both a good song and a very funny idea. And that's that scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, she puts out her cigar in a cupcake and then sprinkles her ash into a teacup. Yep. She's just a creature of pure evil. Yep. She's just disgusting. So one stormy night in October, the puppies are finally arriving. Yep, and it's this, uh, you know, it's a classic like fathers in the waiting room scene, Mm -hmm. but the joke is that it's for the puppies. Mm -hmm. A joke that they do a lot more with in the live action version, but it's still very much what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Mom status, the puppies are here! (laughs) There you go. He has like a very kind of dazed face. He's got new father face. Right, but I like that he's happy. It's not mm-hmm. a joke of like, oh no, I have kids. I don't want... Th-. Like, yeah. Punko's a family man. He is. He wanted a family. It's great. For all that this movie is about like love and marriage and whatever, there's no like ball and chain type jokes. Mm-hmm. There's no jokes about cravings like there were in Lady and the Tramp. This is just a movie about a family that loves being a family. Yeah. 17 members of whom are dogs. <laughs> for now and of course this is where lucky one of the dogs is stillborn and gets warmed back to life by roger Mm -hmm. it's a pretty dramatic pretty serious scene Mm -hmm. you know you don't see anything but like he's warming up a dog corpse and they let it take a while yeah and the clock is ticking and you just kind of feel the the tension you can see why some of the contemporary critics felt like this movie had some more dramatic weight to it when there are scenes like these. Mm-hmm. But, of course, Lucky, who is not yet named Lucky, is saved. The The author of the book claimed that this happened to her. Mm-hmm. 
that one of her dogs had 15 puppies and one was stillborn and then was uh, her husband like resuscitated it. Mm -hmm. She did have Dalmatians, though she never kept all 15. (laughs) Right. That's quite insane, especially if you live in a flat. Exactly. And then as soon as Lucky is brought back to life or brought to life, however you want to say it, Cruella DeVille shows up again. Yep. She just magically happens to know there they are. And she comes in and looks at the puppy and thinks they're mongrels because they're all white because she doesn't know Dalmatians don't get their spots immediately. Which I didn't know without this movie. That's an interesting fact. Now you have learned something. Yes. There is some weird lip sync, by the way, in this scene. I noticed this in a few places, and I think it just... There are parts of this movie where you can see the cheapness, Mm -hmm. and it's okay. It doesn't ruin the movie. But here, I wrote down, there's some really weird lip sync. Especially as she's messing with her pen. And she's going, bless this pen. Yeah. She covers Roger in spots. Which is pretty funny. Because then he looks like a Dalmatian. Yeah. She's messing with her pen because she wants to... uh, Buy the puppies. For some reason, she's really hung up on these puppies specifically. Nothing sinister. I just want all your puppies. Yeah, that's true. We don't know that she's making a coat yet, but she's very... She's talked all about how she's obsessed with furs. And she talks about their pelts. Yeah. And she's concerned they don't have spots. Yeah. So like... You know what's up. And Roger knows what's up. And Roger stands up to her and says, we are not selling any of the puppies. Not to you, at least. He's very nervous. He's stammering a lot, despite the fact that it does seem like he could pretty much snap her like a twig (laughs) over his knee. Like, he could pick her up and throw her like a javelin. Yeah. (laughs) Cruella Deville does leave. And uh, of course she says, drown them for all I care. Yes. Because this is a movie about dog murder. <laughs> Everybody wants to go. You're going to get me with that every single time. I did not expect it. Why? Now we're watching Thunderbolt. It's been a little while because the puppies are older and are able to talk and have their spots. You know, when puppies learn how to talk, mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm, all, mm-hmm. we all know. Yeah. And they like TV. Relatively new invention. Yep. Big deal, there's TV. Yep, Lucky loves TV the most and is sitting right in front of the television. And he doesn't talk for a while. Yeah. I don't know if he talks until they're walking in the snow. It is hard for me to keep track of all these dogs. It's true, and they only name six of them of the of the 15 main ones. That's really the purpose of this scene is to meet the puppies, yeah. which the important ones are Lucky, who is silent and watching the TV and always kind of seems to stay behind. And has like a horseshoe on his back of spots. And will be the most important puppy. Rolly is the fat one. Yep. The joke is that he's a fat one. Yep. Dipstick is the one who looks like his tail's no, been No, that's in the live action only. Okay, but it's also in... See, uh, I've watched 20 spinoffs for this thing. So it's in other things too, so it's confusing. Okay. So well, Dipstick is not in this one. No, it is not. Help me out. I will help you out. Patch is in this one. Patch is in this one. Patch is the one who's got a spot over one of his eyes. Mainly you hear the names Patch, Penny, Lucky, and Rolly in this scene. Later you hear about Pepper and Freckles also... But those are the only six who are named in this movie. There you go. And this goes on for a while. We kind of get to see a full episode of this Thunderbolt (laughs) show. Thunderbolt is a dog who's a hero. Yeah. That's that. (laughs) Fighting against Dirty Dawson. Yes. (laughs) Then once the commercial comes on, the commercial for Canine Crunchies, uh, which can't be beat. Time for the puppies to go to bed. Yep, they're not going to be kidnapped <laughs> by two characters who show up here, Horace and Jasper. 
Yep, Jasper and Horace are a lot of fun. The character design that will never go out of style, which is what if one tall skin one and one what if one short fat one? Did you catch their last name? No, I, their last name, so they're brothers? They're brothers. Their last name is Baden, like bad wow. one, but B-A-D-U-N. They are the Baden wow. brothers. I did not realize they were brothers. Yeah, it's not really? as obvious in the movie, but they the puppies at one point do call them the Badens. I see. And that is straight out of the book, except I think it's spelled slightly differently in the book. But yeah, they have the same nose. I don't know if you noticed hot dog nose sticking out of their face okay but you know by that metric is roger sir k's brother because yeah well disney is reusing a lot of stuff in this movie Mm. especially so you know horace and jasper of course are great jasper is so tall that his knees are sticking (laughs) out of the car yes they drive a nasty little car and they're like criminals for hire they are i appreciate they just do crime Corella DeVille has hired them for this. She like put out a personal ad, wanted people who are willing to kill dogs. They're like, we'll kill dogs. And the, the bit is that Jasper is mostly the smart one or the leader or seems like the smart one. Mm-hmm. But Horace often is the actual smart yeah. one. He has the idea that would be correct. And Jasper's like, well, I'm not listening to you. Yes, here. yes. But they are, I mean, they're both stupid. However, they talk their way into the house. Well, they don't. I actually like this detail that they start talking their way into the house. And Jasper has this great, like, he's figured out exactly what to say to be let in. But Nanny just doesn't let them. So then they have to just break in. Jasper really is uh, a good voice. Yeah. I should look up who did his voice. Oh, well, don't you remember? We talked about it while we were watching Oh, it. yes, of course. It's Jay, it's Jay Pat O'Malley, who also voices the colonel. J. Pat O'Malley, who is everyone in the Walrus and the Carpenter segment mm-hmm. in Alice in Wonderland, uh, and who we talked about there. And he's great in both of his roles in this. The Colonel is where we really recognized him because he's just doing the Walrus voice. <laughs> yep, but he's doing this one too. He does several voices. The long and the short of it is Jasper and Horace have the puppies, and they are hiding out somewhere we don't know where yet Corella is like you guys have to hold them until the heat dies down and they don't like hiding out in what we will find out is creepy drafty hell hall which (laughs) they don't show this part but is definitely just covered in dog stuff (laughs) it's true there is actually no dog stuff this whole movie but you know there's got to be a lot of it somewhere uh, yeah, I mean, Jasper and Horace do not know how to care for dogs. <laughs> that's that's all I'm saying. It's bad. Now, Corella DeVille calls Anita to supposedly offer her condolences, yeah. but obviously taunt her. And Roger is absolutely correct here because he's like, she probably did it. <laughs> her name is Cruel Devil, and she showed up being creepy yeah. and wanting to steal all our puppies. And now all our puppies have been stolen. Yeah. By any reasonable metric, she is suspect number one. Yeah. I love this scene, the way she looks in this scene. Cruella's calling from her bed, and so her hair's up in curlers. This is when you really notice her cheekbones. Earlier, you're just so overwhelmed by the everything else of her. They're not as obvious, but they really stick out when her hair is up in her curlers. And she's using her phone that looks like a devil and to make the phone calls and she just looks terrible. (laughs) 
And the police are useless, just like in real life. Mm -hmm. And so Pongo tells Purdy, it's up to us now. Yep. This is the first appearance of a song that is very important to the Disney animated canon, which is a song called What'll We Do? (laughs) And it is the song that goes... Da, 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 da. It's the sad song. Yeah. This was kind of a phenomenon on Twitter last year, so people listening may have seen it. But if you had this is just a song that is a very sad song that is used all over the Disney animated canon. <laughs> I can't remember all the movies it's in. It's a lot of them. We'll have to pay attention and watch for it. I think it might be in all of the forthcoming George Bruns films. I can picture it in both Sword in the Stone and Jungle Book, I think. And Robin Hood, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. When it seems like he might be dead. Yeah, I think maybe. that's where it is. But it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it always stands out, especially now, whenever I hear it. It works, though. It's a really good song. That's part of why it stands out. Very effective. Bruns knew what he was doing. Yep, so they're going to use the twilight bark, which is the dogs barking at each other in the evening to pass the news. And they pass it to Danny the Great Dane, and I don't know if the character has a name, but the little washcloth dog. (laughs) The little Scotty dog friend. It may just be called Scotty, but it is adorable. I love the tiny Scotty dog. He's my favorite little dog. (laughs) (laughs) I have met dogs that look like that in real life. It's true. Every dog my girlfriend has ever had has been that dog. (laughs) Tiny, yippy, little fluff, (laughs) little Momrath dog. And then, of course, the message is passed to Jock from Lady and the Tramp. (laughs) Covered in soot. (laughs) Who's passed to one of the dogs from the beginning and is then passed to definitely not Peggy and definitely not Bull and definitely not Lady and definitely not Tramp (laughs) until it eventually makes it to definitely not Trusty. Yes. Whose name is Old Towser, but he looks like Trusty. And he definitely, 100%, they reuse animation of Trusty. Because even though his voice sounds different, his head moves the same. Which is weird because it's just kind of a normal British man voice. But he's still moving his head as though he's going to never tell you about old reliable. (laughs) And his friend Lucy the Goose. And I was shocked that in addition to reusing all these characters, as I briefly mentioned... Lady and Tramp are both in this movie. <laughs> they kind of silhouette them both yeah. to make it a little harder, but it's 100% Lady and the Tramp. Well, they obviously did it on purpose because they're like, what was our other all-dog movie? Let's put them in here. <laughs> Is it an Easter egg? I thought it might just be a cost-saving measure. I guess I was reading it in generously. Maybe it's supposed to be a deliberate Easter egg. They made it to London somehow. I think it's just supposed to be a, a joke, like, can you catch it? But I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe it is just cost saving. Hey, we have these dogs images from other movie. Let's just toss them in here. We need extra dogs. Right, because they're going to keep doing that. Yeah. But I like how as it spreads across London, you pull out and then pan over to the country so that you get the... I like that distance shot. Yes. And this whole idea of the Twilight Bark is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's from the book. Yep. There's also a a, uh, neon sign for canine crunchies. Yeah. They can't be beat, you know. (laughs) They make each meal a special treat. And it eventually makes it to a horse, Captain, Captain Horse, (laughs) and Sergeant Tibbs, who's a tabby cat. Yep. And the Colonel. Who's a sheepdog. And uh, who says that it's time to talk of other things. (laughs) 
I really love the colonel. Yeah, I like Sergeant Tibbs quite a bit. So when they finally get the message through to the colonel, which takes quite a while, Sergeant Tibbs is like, hey, I heard puppies over at Hell Hall. Oh, the old DeVille place? (laughs) And Hell Hall... It feels like is really where they put a lot of their animation efforts. This is where we get some really great colors and shadows. This feels like maybe the best area of the film, visually. Eventually, what this all leads to is Perdita and Pongo can be led to the puppies. Mm -hmm. There's a great moment in a tunnel where Danny, the Great Dane, tells them, you know, the barking chain will be standing by if you should need us. Everybody's on their side. It's a fun idea to be like, all the dogs are friends. Yep. When they get back to Hell Hall, Corella's there, and she says, maybe the most important line of the film, <laughs> which is, uh, she's ordering Horace and Jasper to kill the dogs, and she says, poison them, drown them, bash them on the head! Do you have any chloroform? And again, this is a movie about killing dogs. It is. They have to be killed and skinned that night because the pressure from the police is getting to be too much. And she even slaps them in this scene. Oh, yeah. Which is another reason why we were like, "Mm, not for you guys when you were little. (laughs) You need to be old enough to understand some of these behaviors are not appropriate. And this is one of my favorite scenes. Because, you see, they're not going to kill the puppies yet. Because they have something else very important they need to do first, which is watch the show, What's My Crime? Yeah. Which, on the one hand, is a concept that is utterly horrifying, (laughs) if you actually think about it. And on the other hand, is a show I would absolutely love to watch. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yep. What's My Crime is a show where a prisoner (laughs) is given a vacation if one of the panelists can guess their unusual crime. Yep, they can ask only 10 questions to try to figure it out. And we basically get to see the whole episode. And also, whatever, anyway, the dogs are escaping in this part. Truly did not care because I'm watching What's My Crime. Exactly. And so is Lucky. <laughs> Lucky likes all TV well, all time. I can't believe we don't get to know what the guy's crime is. Nobody guesses it and they're like, well, you'll get another chance next week. Because time's up and it's like, oh, I want to know what Percival Farnswater's <laughs> unusual crime was. <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> Tax evasion. <laughs> he can't even spell his name. Of course, tax evasion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. And this is, uh, we get a little action scene because they end up in a red, red room, which is, again, Hell Hall just has really great visuals. Mm-hmm. And Perdita and Pongo show up. Just in time. And they look vicious. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a cool, cool moment. And we get... This is part action scene, part slapstick, because, mm-hmm. like, it's an action scene when Horace and Jasper are fighting Perdita and Pongo, and it's a slapstick scene when Horace and Jasper are hitting each other. Yes, and getting bitten on the bottom by the dogs. It snowed while Pongo and Perdita were on the way, so now, of course, right. they're leaving tracks in the snow. You can't, it's really hard to hide the tracks of 101 dogs in the snow. Lots of chasing, and they're running, trying to escape through a blizzard, and... Cruella and the Baddens are searching. They weren't going to stop. They can't let them get away. So even though like days are passing, they aren't giving up the search. They make it look like, you know, the dogs are going through a frozen tundra. Mm-hmm. Again, it's much more dramatic. Yeah. Lucky has to be carried and everything. Mm-hmm. And my nose is froze. And my toes are froze. Yeah, that's a little cute moment. And this ends up leading to what, 
I am calling my favorite scene. Oh. Which is when the collie shows up and lets them take shelter in a barn Mm -hmm. where there are also several cows. And I don't know what it is about this scene. Maybe it's just that I kind of forgot this was in the movie. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought once they escaped Hell Hall, that was it. Maybe just because of the live action movie where that's pretty much the case. (laughs) But it's like Perdita and Pongo are legitimately exhausted. And again, this is played as like a dramatic scene. Mm -hmm. They were in real mortal peril. Yeah, I mean, it was a blizzard blowing snow and very cold and they're trying to herd 99 puppies. And this is where their life gets saved by the kindness of strangers and maybe Mm -hmm. it's just because after 2020 we all know that the kindness of strangers is a complete lie and something that absolutely does not exist at all but it really kind of got to me it was a nice emotional moment Mm -hmm. and i i found it surprisingly affecting for the silly dog movie (laughs) starring cruel devil yeah so they've been walking on the ice to cover their tracks to trick horace and jasper Mm -hmm. the dogs are heading for dinsford which is where kind of the climax of the movie happens they all disguise themselves as labradors because they meet a black labrador and then they decide oh if we all roll in the soot we'll look like labradors and then we can sneak off to this moving van that's headed for london and that'll get us home much easier we won't have to walk the whole way which is one of the most implausible things that happens in this movie is that you know horace and jasper are like hey there seem to be a huge swarm of labrador puppies here (laughs) jasper's like we're looking for a different huge swarm of puppies (laughs) there were a different color and there's no possible way this could have happened yep Even Cruella, she's a little more suspicious. By the way, there's a scene of Cruella driving and looking suspiciously that is literally repeated three times. Yeah. It's a little astonishing. Yeah, there's a good bit of that. Even she doesn't quite figure it out until because of some dripping water, some of them are revealed to be Dalmatians, leading to a car chase. I think the car chase climactic action sequence is my favorite. An excellent choice. Cruella, of course, is chasing the van and she has the Baddens chasing too, but they take different routes to follow. She sends them to head him off. This is where you notice a little bit weirdness in the animation because I think the vehicles were actually live action vehicles that they filmed and then painted over. Yeah. Um, And so occasionally they look a little weird. They look less like animation and more like live action. But anyway, they are chasing around. He's like, what's this crazy woman driver doing? Trying to shove me off the road. He doesn't understand what's going on because he doesn't know the dogs all snuck into the back of his truck. Yeah, that's one of the best parts of this is that it's a car chase where one of the participants has no idea why he's in a car chase. Exactly. He doesn't know what's going on. But then, of course, Jasper and Horace mess up and crash into Cruella's car at the end. And both cars just explode into parts and they're left in the snow. All that can be done is Cruella calls them idiots and imbeciles and... Then Jasper tells her to shut up. (laughs) But I was surprised that they don't die. (laughs) A, because it's the 1960s in a car crash. So they're, you know, they're paced. Yeah, they pretty much would be. (laughs) For for their cars to end up in as many pieces as that, they did too. (laughs) But more just because, I mean, the Disney movies have not shied away from killing their villains up to this point depending on how you measure it you know arguably more dead villains than live ones and she was going to kill dogs like that 
that feels like it could be a murderable offense. The Cruella DeVille song has become a big hit in the meantime, <laughs> so Roger and Anita are doing okay financially. But sad without all their dogs. And they come in and they're like, what are all these black dogs? Because of course they still have all the soot on. <laughs> and then they're like, they're not black dogs, they're Dalmatians. Then Nanny's dusting them off with her duster and they realize it's Pongo and Perdita. And they're like, what? There's so many. So they count them all. And that's... A hundred and yes. one coming soon to VHS. <laughs> Get yourself that clamshell. It's 101 Dalmatians. Hide it in your closet, not for kids. (laughs) And they're going to keep all 101 dogs. And they're going to have a Dalmatian plantation. And that song lasts for two sentences (laughs) and the movie ends. Yep. Because they have plenty of money now. They can go buy a farm. But you know who didn't have plenty of money? Disney Animated Studios. So they're like, we'll have a Dalmatian plantation. And Walt is like, cut, you're done. (laughs) Oh, okay, sorry. The end. It's a Christmas movie in the end. It is a Christmas movie. And a good end. Yep. Now it's time for sequels, spin-offs, remakes, rides, and reboots. And boy, are there a lot of some of them. There's almost no park stuff. There really isn't. There's just, you can meet and greet with Cruella, usually. So, you know, in parades and shows, occasionally you'll see stuff. But no rides in any of the parks. <laughs> like at one of the hotels at Walt Disney World, there's statues. Yep. And that's pretty much it. Very little park representation at all. Maybe made up for by everything else. <laughs> yes, so much everything else. Uh, there was a sequel to the book. Yep. The Starlight Barking, which I haven't read. It's apparently very strange. It is strange. I can tell you the basic plot of it if you want. Hit me. Sirius comes down from the Dog Star... All humans in the world and everything that's not dogs is put to sleep. And the dogs are given the option to potentially come with him back to the dog star. He gives them the power to fly around. Other weird stuff happens. It's it's a total sci-fi. I'm reading the description here. It's like a book about nuclear war. The reason the dog star is coming down to rescue the dogs is to avoid nuclear war. That's right. I'd forgotten that was the reason why. He's trying to rescue all the dogs and take them away from this world where they might get killed by nuclear war. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds like a good, (laughs) sounds like a book I would like. I mean, what you're describing is the day the earth stood still, but with dogs. Yep. The dogs decide to stay, of course, because they love their pets. And then they get nuked. (laughs) They do not. (laughs) Cruella drops the bomb. No. This was not made into a Disney movie. Which is a shame because (laughs) there are multiple terrible sequels and this would have been way better. (laughs) The most important spinoff is the live action movie from 1996. Now, I have a special connection to this movie because it was the first film I ever saw in theaters I am told. Saw quote unquote because it came out the same month that you were born. And I don't recall, I don't believe we went like opening weekend or anything. So we might not have seen it until the December of 96 or potentially even the January of 97. But we went when you were about a month old and you were in the snuggly on daddy's chest and you slept through almost the entire movie. But you got to go, that was the first movie you ever went to in theaters as a tiny baby. The first movie movie I actually remember seeing in theaters, also a Disney connection, which is surely true of a lot of kids, <laughs> is Monsters, Inc. It's a very important memory for me, and that's a good movie, too. <laughs> it's a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I 
watched the live action 101 Dalmatians before this podcast because other than that (laughs) one time in theaters, I don't remember actually ever seeing it. So I wanted to actually see it. (laughs) Uh, You also decided to watch this independently. Yeah, we decided to rewatch it independently because... I don't think we had watched it since that time. And I remembered I didn't love it enough to want to try to own it or anything, but I was curious. It had been so long. And it, surprisingly, quite good. It's very good. Now, I don't know whether or not this is a Delarm. Delarm, even though it stands for Disney Live Action Animated Remake, is a term we made up specifically for the modern trend of remakes that are just do the movie again, but replace all the beautiful animation with plasticky CGI. Mm -hmm. We use it in a very derogatory manner. Right. I don't think every live action movie based on a Disney animated film, I would call a Delarm. So I don't know whether or not this counts. You (laughs) can decide how our made up term applies. Yes, I noticed on Disney Plus, they have a term for them now. They call them reimagined classics. Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. What? What did you? What imagination is there? (laughs) You corporate shills. You simps. This one, you could say, has a little bit of reimagination going on. This one is a reimagining. I'm glad you watched it as well, because I was messaging you as I was watching it to be like, is my brain just broken from watching so much spinoff garbage, or is this movie legit good? I think it's legit good. I think it's legitimately good. I think this is a very good film. And I think what makes it so great is Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille. Well, I think there's a lot of things that make it good. I mean, it's a John Hughes screenplay. Yeah. It's directed by Stephen Herrick, who isn't a great director, but who did like the Mighty Ducks and the Tim Curry Three Musketeers Mm -hmm. and the first Bill and Ted. So like... Not a bad director. Yeah. He, I mean, those four movies, you could retire on that and mm-hmm. feel pretty good. He made some other movies that are bad. He also made Mr. Holland's Opus, which I haven't seen. It's a movie that most people feel has not aged well. Uh, I haven't seen it since it was new. I remember it being pretty good when we first watched it, but I, I haven't seen it since then, so. Yeah, I think that's kind of how most people feel about Mr. Holland's Opus. But anyway, I think Jeff Daniels is good in it. I think mm-hmm. Joan Plowright is good in it. Hugh Laurie as Jasper. is very good. Oh my gosh, he's good in it. But yes, Glenn Close, I mean, it should have won an Oscar. Glenn Close, famously somebody who's been nominated for the Oscar a whole bunch of times and never won. She should have won. She should have won for this. This is an insanely good performance. Yeah. I'm going to say it. I like Cruella DeVille in the live action movie more than the original animated movie. <laughs> Both are good, but this conception of her is amazing. And I think Glenn Close, unlike most of these Delarms, has more expression and more <laughs> like animation than the animated film. She yeah. somehow manages to twitch every muscle in her face. It's incredible. Yep. It's incredible. And the movie itself is good. Like it has a decent script. Obviously, it's not the deepest movie ever but it's at least in my opinion at the same level of quality as the animated film they're both family fun Mm -hmm. i would say the animated film is better in part because it's shorter i think the live action film starts to drag a bit it probably didn't need to be an hour 40 could have been a clean 90 we would have been fine (laughs) one of the things of course in the live action movie is that they decide the dogs don't talk yeah that i had forgotten completely that the animals don't ever talk And I thought that was a very interesting way to go. And I think because I watched that live action Lady and the Tramp where they do talk, 
and the CGI gets a little creepy after a while, it may be kind of a good thing they didn't have them talk. Yeah, I think that's what it is. There's no real way to make animals talk outside of animation that doesn't look creepy. Or you just have words with dog normal expressions, you know, like you're hearing them think talk like they did because they actually did that in the movie Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Yep, I've seen that. The dogs and the cat talk, talk, but they don't actually move their mouths, which I think works better. We should say it's not CGI. Jim Henson's Creature Shop made dog puppets that look great. And I think there's also some actual dogs used. I think it's a mix of live dogs and the puppets. But it all looks great. There's a great raccoon puppet that I love. When you are looking at this movie, you are looking at real light hitting real objects. (laughs) And it holds up. Yeah, it holds up. It looks good. I think of the straight remakes. My favorite live action film based on a Disney animated movie is Christopher Robin, which I would not call a remake. No, more like a sequel. Yeah, but of the straight remakes, this, I think... The best one, right? I mean, what what live action remake is better than this? None, I don't think so far. Certainly not so far. I really enjoyed watching this movie. I I would recommend it personally. It's very different in some ways. You have to get used to that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it holds up. Obviously, the original movie was very popular. Great success. This movie launched an empire. (laughs) Well, and when it came out, the merchandising was everywhere yeah it was all over the place talk about seeing trailers everywhere you go it felt like this movie was just all over the place and this movie was a massive hit it was a decent critical success because it's pretty good Mm -hmm. and it was a huge commercial success which of course is more important to disney at this time Mm -hmm. so they did an animated tv series called 101 dalmatians the series yep that was show run by the creators of doug i didn't actually watch any of this show it seems pretty nothing but this is like very much a tv show even though the dogs talk in this one based on the movie to the point that it has the ones in the movie like it has dipstick who's the one who has uh the tail that looks like a dipstick yes uh and it has wizard unfortunately yeah wizard the the worst thing about the live action movie in my opinion is that it gets into that scatological humor there's business with a skunk and there's wizard the dog who pees yeah yay (laughs) but jim cummings is the voice of the colonel in that one so You know, you've got that. I didn't watch it, but it's kind of important to know it exists. You know what I did watch? What did you watch? I watched 102 Dalmatians. Oh, see, I looked at that today and I looked at how long it was and I went, I don't think I can spend an hour and 40 minutes on that. I just don't have the mental energy and I did not. (laughs) Again, that live action one surprised me. I watched it because I was like, I should watch this because it was technically this first movie I saw in theaters. And so I can talk about it intelligently on the podcast. And I was like, wow, this is a movie I really enjoyed watching. So I went to the second one, like maybe there will be something here. If nothing else, it still has Glenn Close. And this is why I, I have to disagree when you say that Glenn Close is like why that first movie is good. Because this second movie truly has only Glenn Close. Ah, uh, I see. Totally different screenplay. Yeah. Totally different director. 
The only actor who comes back is Tim McInerney as Alonzo, who has one moment in the original movie, which is where she goes, what kind of sycophant are you? (laughs) He goes, what kind of sycophant would you like me to be? He's brought back as the sidekick for this one. Horace and Jasper are gone, so it's him Mm -hmm. and he sucks. And those are the only two elements that come back. Uh, None of the other actors are really anything except for Eric Idle is the voice of this annoying parrot character. (laughs) And Gerard Depardieu is uh, playing on Han Han Baguette Eiffel Tower. (laughs) (laughs) He's playing Jean-Pierre Le Pelt. And the joke is that he's French. And if that doesn't really sound like a joke to you, yeah... Yeah. It's Gerard Jepardieu. They paid him in ham. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to remember if we'd ever watched 102 Dalmatians. And maybe if I'd rewatched it, I would know. But if I did watch it, it made no impression. Do the animals talk in this one? I wanted to know. Only the parrot. Only Eric Idle as the parrot. The dogs still do not talk. Huh. The parrot thinks he's a dog. That's a joke, I guess. It's Here's the thing about this movie. It's what I expected the first one to be. Ah. Where it's very lazy, has nothing to do with the movie. It's boring. The second the movie starts, and it's got that song that was also in the trailer. This is definitely a VHS trailer, where it's that, like, bow-wow-wow-biddy-oh-biddy-ay. Ah, yeah. You're just like, this sucks. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> Glenn Close is still really really trying in this movie but even she just doesn't feel compelling because the script is so so horrible Mm -hmm. that this one she can't save i agree she elevates the first movie yeah but she elevates a movie that would have been decent enough on its own all right this one she can't save it she elevates it from like a one out of ten to a two out of (laughs) ten one more thing about these movies though obviously cruella is like a fashion icon in these and she has a different incredible outfit in every scene yeah those costumes were designed by anthony powell and in fact 102 Dalmatians was nominated for an Academy Award (laughs) for Best Costume Design for Anthony Powell, which I will say I have no complaint with. Yeah. As much as this movie is terrible, his costumes remain amazing. They're amazing in the first one. They're amazing in this one. And it lost to Gladiator. It should have beat Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Gladiator is clearly one of those wins where they're like, well, it's a period piece, so it wins best costume design. <laughs> and not the genuinely strange <laughs> and exciting and interesting costumes, unlike anything we've seen before. Yeah. Which I would say is true of 101 and 102 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. But he won three Academy Awards. He worked with many, many great directors. He had a incredibly long career. And by sheer coincidence, he passed away the week that we are recording this. He died on Tuesday. Oh. So I wanted to shout him out, Anthony Powell. Yeah. An incredible designer. You can watch many other movies, you know, as well as like 101 and 102 <laughs> Dalmatians. But even in those movies, I think you really can see his craft. Yeah. And I think he helped elevate that first movie too. Mm-hmm. And I think he also could not save that second movie. It's just, un- <laughs> you can't. But good effort, nonetheless. Yeah. And so it launched, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. But there are also some spinoffs that are mostly unrelated, such as 101 Dalmatians 2 Patches London Adventure. Yep, from 2003. Uh, It's also very bad. Direct-to-video animated sequel. Direct-to-toilet. 
Yeah, did you watch that one too? I watched as much of that as I could <laughs> until I realized I straight up wanted to die. Yeah. It's really awful. <laughs> Suzanne Blakesley as Corella DeVille. It's fine. I kind of want to call out the Corella DeVille performances in all of these things. Suzanne Blakesley is fine. She's doing a bad impersonation of the original performance, but it's fine. <laughs> this movie is, is quite terrible and weirdly it is one of the few direct-to-video sequels that got decent reviews it actually has a positive rating on rotten tomatoes which is proof that rotten tomatoes is wrong (laughs) because i would rather watch cinderella 3 or bambi 2 50 times in a row than watch this yeah there's just nothing about it that's redeeming they kind of try to ape the animation style like they keep the fuzzy outlines yeah but it looks so cheap and so awful like all of these things the voice performances are pretty much all bad to a man even though like jason alexander and martin short are in this thing and incredibly jody benson (laughs) the little mermaid herself and Catherine beaumont (laughs) wild i feel like you guys might have watched this one when you were kids did it seem familiar at all to you it did not seem familiar at all when i read the description of it i was like That seems kind of familiar. Not like I watched it, but like maybe you guys had wanted to check it out from Blockbuster. And I heard it from the other room, mostly. It's very possible. We watched a lot of garbage. I can't can't say we were above this. (laughs) True. The pitch for Patch's London Adventure. For some reason, it stars Patch when clearly it should star Lucky. (laughs) It's gonna star a puppy. Yeah. Which is what that 101 Dalmatians TV show did. Whatever. They're all leaving London to go to the Dalmatian plantation. Mm -hmm. But Patch stays behind in London. It's kind of a Home Alone situation. He joins up with Thunderbolt, the TV dog. Who has like his own plot line that's basically... I guess it's not quite the plot of Bolt. But like (laughs) weirdly similar. His TV sidekick, Little Lightning, played by Jason Alexander, is like the bad guy, but also Cruella de Vil's. It's a mess. Yeah. It's a complete mess. It's just incomprehensible. <laughs> Once again, Cruella teams up with a French guy. Why? Hmm. Is it just the fashion thing? Is that the idea? So she's got to team up with French guys? I don't it's a know. waste of my time. It's dumb. It should have been the, the movie about the dog saving them from nuclear war. <laughs> And at the end, Patch becomes Thunderbolt sidekick, whatever, who cares? <laughs> Ugh, really, really yep. shockingly bad, even by the standards of this. Trying to think if there's anything else before we get to the big one. Uh, well, of course, by the time this episode comes out, I think, or maybe a little later, Cruella will be out. Cruella, yeah. which I didn't realize, not part of the recent slate of Delarms, was actually, uh, like, started kind of pre-production and, like, was first announced way back in 2013, huh. before the Delarms became a thing. It is straight up a prequel to the 1996 live-action movie. Interesting. It is not meant to be an adaptation of the animated film. Well, I knew it was a prequel, but I didn't really pay attention to whether it was a prequel to the 1996 movie or the original 1961 movie. Yeah, I assumed it was supposed to be a prequel to the 1961 but it's not it's specifically because 102 dalmatians also did well it didn't do as well as the first one 
I think they were smart and realized we're not getting away with that again. Huh. I mean, uh, we're not going to be able to do 103, but it was originally specifically trying to play off of the affection people still had for that live action series. I see. And then 2015, Cinderella comes out. Now we're in Delarm Town. So it like retroactively, despite being the same movie, is now being marketed in the like whatever reimagined stupids. <laughs> yeah, but I just can't get into it. No, it looks really terrible. At time of recording, the trailer for this is out and it has a good cast quite a good cast as many of these things do yeah the soundtrack is gonna be the music is gonna be done by nicholas Bertel, who is one of my favorite if not my single favorite movie composers working today so i'm looking forward to that i'm looking <laughs> forward to a new nicholas Bertel score that i can listen to while i work yeah but like yeah this movie seems quite terrible it seems like it's trying to be weirdly like Disney's trying to do their version of Harley Quinn is who this conception of Cruella seems to be. And so much of the marketing stuff around it has been like, there was this big news story that Disney released. It was talking about like Emma Thompson is going to play Cruella's iconic arch nemesis, the Baroness. <laughs> and it's like, Who's the Baroness? You made this up. Like, yes. what are you talking about? Well, it just, why do you need a sympathetic origin story for a villain like Cruella de Vil? Right. She kills dogs. <laughs> I mean, that's... She wants to kill dogs. She loves furs. She wants to kill any animals. And in the in that live action, Hunter 1 Dalmatians, she's responsible for the stealing and death of a tiger from the zoo. Like, in that one, she has stolen all the puppies, right? I believe so. Not just the 15. In that one, all the puppies are stolen. She just wants furs of all kinds all the time. And she is willing to steal and kill any animal to get them. Yeah. And again, she's like, the last thing you want to see in 2021, the last thing is a sympathetic portrayal, not only of a woman who kills dogs, but of an old money rich person, <laughs> right? Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, is she going to be in Hell Hall? They're either going to completely reimagine it, in which case, what's the point? Or it's going to be a legitimate origin. It's just dumb. The yeah. The whole fun of Corella DeVille is that she has, like, slipped in from another more fun dimension. <laughs> more crazy times. Even in the original animated film, like we said, like, she's she feels out of place in a way that is actually what makes her fun. Yeah. I don't want a stupid origin story. And yet, and yet. And yet, as much as I talk about how terrible this movie seems to be, uh, and I'm not looking forward to it, I got my first dose of the vaccine last week. And you are also fully vaccinated now. This is very much a pro-vaccine podcast. Yes. Please get the vaccines if you live in America or anywhere else where it's available. Please, please get it. Please let this end. Yep. So obviously, all I want to do as soon as I'm fully vaccinated is watch a movie. It's all I've wanted to do. This is the longest I've gone since I was five years old without going to a movie theater. I'm pretty sure has been this 15 month period. What's going to end up being quite possibly. And what movie is coming out right <laughs> around that time? What is the biggest high profile release? That would be Cruella. <laughs> so you know what? If that's what's in theaters, I'm going to watch it. True. And I was thinking about it and I was like, there is kind of something maybe potentially slightly poetic about the first <laughs> movie I ever saw is 101 Dalmatians. And like, 
the first movie I see after this incredibly long, miserable break I had to take from the theater being Cruella. (laughs) I might have to see Cruella. Yeah. And I'll probably hate the movie, but I will love the experience. Exactly. You'll be like, I'm out of the house. That's like uh, you and dad saw Raya and the Last Dragon. And I was like, is it good? Do we need to cover it on the podcast? And you were like... We're not sure. This was the best night of our lives. (laughs) But it's kind of hard to say if it was the movie or if it was seeing a movie. Yes. With a few friends. Because we rented out the theater. We have one last thing to talk about as this episode goes long. Yep. One more spinoff. Oh, yes. 101 Dalmatian Street. (laughs) This one made me wish that I was dead. (laughs) I did at least read a little bit of what it's supposed to be about. It's set in the present, and it's the descendants of the D- Dalmatians from the original 101 Dalmatians movie. I can't even begin to talk about how horrible this is. <laughs> and I knew it from the theme song, which is not quite 7D level. I knew it from looking at the picture. <laughs> I mean, of course, look, of course it's bad. It's evil. It's, it's cursed. It's horrific. Where to even begin? It has none of the characters you like. Well, they're all dead. <laughs> well, yes, I suppose so. Dogs don't live that long. So it also doesn't have, you know, that great 60s aesthetic. Well, yeah, because it's from 2019. It's hard to even understand. Like, I just, I watched the first episode of the first season and the last episode of the first season. So I watched, you know... Episode one, right? You want to be able to sell me on the premise or at least have me understand it. Yeah. It's so confusing because, like, there are humans. Uh-huh. And it does seem to be in the human world. But also, the the main Dalmatians in question live on their own, mm-hmm. seem capable of doing all the human things. And they also have dog friends who, like, mm-hmm. come to their house. And one of the dogs, Dolly, has to go to work. So I'm not sure to what extent this is dog world and to what extent this is human world. Interesting. And it's so, I mean, it's it's a lot of modern animated TV where it's like so hyperactive that I get like motion sick. <laughs> I want to throw up. Yeah. The main characters are Dylan, Dolly, Doug, Delilah, Dizzy, Dee Dee, Dawkins, Diesel, Dante, Destiny, Deja Vu. That one's not a name. Dallas, Delgado, DJ, Deepak, Da Vinci, Dorothy, and Dimitri 1, 2, and 3. Those are just the characters who are listed as main characters. If you're able to tell those dinguses <laughs> apart, you're a better man than I. <laughs> okay, there's so many things to talk about with 101 Dalmatian Street. Most of the episodes are movie parodies. I hope uh. you haven't seen this. Do you know what movie is parodied in the first episode? No. I will give you three guesses it is an incredibly kid-inappropriate film. It's a recent film. Uh-huh. Wildly, wildly child-inappropriate. I have I have no idea. I can think of too many inappropriate movies. Just one guess. Pick something. Anything. I want to see if you pick something that's as crazy, <laughs> crazier, or I think most likely less crazy <laughs> than the answer. Um, Saw. I, that's about as crazy. It's The Perch. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the grisly, torture-centric no. horror film, The Perch. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, 
It is. It's an episode called Boom Night. Doug and Delilah, who are like the ones in charge, I guess. I thought that was Dill. I don't understand. <laughs> Whatever. All the dogs are preparing for something they call Boom Night. Yeah. By locking up the house and all like... All the dogs have to wear earmuffs. Again, it's like the purge where it's like lock up because the purge is happening. Blah, blah, blah. There's an idiotic adventure. Hmm. The end of which is that uh, it's fireworks. It's like the 4th of July. Yep. And it's fireworks, and that's that's what they're all scared of because dogs are scared of fireworks. Yeah. But it's the purge. I mean, they're straight up doing the purge, and I'm just watching this. Who is this for? Yeah, because you would hope if it's all hyperactive, Usually that means it's for young children. And they should not be old enough to see The Purge. It's very much a show for young, young children, is what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Like the six, seven-year-old range, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah, thereabouts. It's like you've just graduated from Blue's Clues. Yeah. And yeah, The Purge, again... Who is this for? Who is the center of the Venn diagram of people who are going to watch this show <sighs> and people who watched The Perch? <laughs> Maybe it's just lazy show writing. They're like... I think it is. Children will not guess what we're doing, that they're stealing these stories from something else. Right, but again, it's like visual reference. Like, it's it's a very close parody in a lot of ways. Maybe they're t- trying to make it be, like, appealing for the children and the adults, but it sounds like they totally whiffed. They totally failed! Like, you, there's a way you could do Like, I don't know, Darkwing Duck referenced Twin Peaks. Yep. Even that is more kid-appropriate than mm. The Purge. Other movies referenced include Rear Window, the mm. Alfred Hitchcock film that mm. kids love. 28 days later, another. I'm just realizing oh my how gosh, many, so horror, many movies. horror movies. <laughs> what are you doing? It, you're doing a 101 Dalmatians show. Uh, they do do a Cinderella episode, which, okay. Surprising. I mean, I thought it was going to be horror movies all down the line. That one follows. That one follows. Here's the biggest mistake they make Cruella DeVille's only in two episodes. Why is she in any of them? I mean, is she really old? I mean, she looks the same as she always has. <laughs> oh, so she's just totally an alien. <laughs> I think she's just a supernatural evil. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so there's a there's an episode that's a spin on Dante's Inferno for, for some... Uh, hmm. And there's a recurring villain, Hunter. And Hunter turns out to be somehow, like, related to Cruella DeVille, I believe. Yeah. His great aunt okay. is Cruella DeVille. And so she shows up for a two-part finale episode. Mm-hmm. First of all, why would you make a 101 Dalmatians anything and not have Cruella be in every episode? That's a waste <laughs> of my time. Yep. She's played by Michelle Gomez, who is not an actor I'm particularly familiar with. And this is, I think, truly the worst Cruella DeVille performance. She's not threatening or even interesting. Mm-hmm. The Cruella DeVille in both the animated and live action movies has such delicious line readings. Right. Like Glenn Close is making a fuller course meal with appetizers, dessert, <laughs> and after dinner mints out of every single sentence she says. Yeah. This Cruella is just like, I'm evil. It sucks. It's so horrible. <laughs> That's the worst condemnation I can give this awful, awful television program. They made Cruella DeVille boring. Wow. A complete failure. One of the worst things I've watched for this. <laughs> I'd rather watch the 7D. Yikes. I would. At least the 7D makes me laugh with how <laughs> wrong-headed it is. 101 Dalmatian Street. I'm sure somebody who listens to this podcast likes it. <sighs> 
That's a choice. <laughs> it's not for me. Yep. It's not for me. I believe this show has been definitively canceled, <laughs> I think. Let me check. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. No, it's not. It's not for sure canceled. Oh, it's no. It's probably just pandemic paused. Oh, no. It, it might actually be ongoing. No, stop. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to watch any more of it, though. This podcast's mission is now to get this canceled. No, I don't want this to exist. You misunderstand. <laughs> yeah. I cannot sanction this. Well, whatever. Sign my petition to defund and abolish 101 Dalmatian Street. <laughs> In the meantime, Mom. Yep. I don't know if you know this, but we don't rank movies on a scale from 1 to 101. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we don't rank them numerically at all. Instead, we ask each other two questions. Yep. The first of which is, Mom, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I would recommend this movie. I think it's a lot of fun. It's... Hard to watch it right after Sleeping Beauty because that one is such a pinnacle of animation art. And then this one feels like kind of a come down, but you just watch it on its own. It's a lot of fun. It's a amusing story. There's a lot of action. It's its own interesting art style. Try not to notice the reused animation. <laughs> but even with the reused animation, it's still a lot of fun. For sure. It's it's fun for people like us to notice the cheapness of it. Mm -hmm. But it's not like the wartime era movies yeah. where it looks bad. Mm -hmm. I agree. Clearly a recommend. I said before we watched it that I th thought I liked this movie more than you. Mm -hmm. I think maybe I still like this movie a little more than you mm -hmm. based on what you just said. For me, it's like a full-throated recommend. Yeah. I think this is one of the better movies even of the Silver Era. Mm -hmm. I agree it's a huge come down from Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> no arguments there, but that just speaks to how great Sleeping Beauty is. I would also recommend the live action film. The first one. <laughs> yes, I would recommend the 1996 film. Yep. Even watching them back to back, I could enjoy both versions. Yeah. Other than Wizard. <laughs> but, you know, I really do think that movie's special. And you know what? There are much, much worse movies that could have been my first theater experience. Very true. This movie will be with me always. And I, both of them, I guess. And I, but especially the animated one, which is better. And which I expect to continue returning to as I have in the past. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess you would not show this to a child, huh? Not to a very young child. The child needs to be old enough that you can help them understand not all the words you hear in movies are for you to say, <laughs> especially to your brother right. uh, or sister, and um, no hitting people. <laughs> right. No doing the purge. Yes. Do not, do not behave like the bad guys. <laughs> Even if they are funny... And you think it's very funny the way they call each other names. It is funny in the movie, but not funny when you do it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just, I did show it to you guys when you were a little older, not when we first got it, which I don't exactly remember how old you were when we first bought it, but you guys were young enough that when we watched it, we were like, not yet. <laughs> not mm -hmm. all the time, for sure. You guys were very impressionable and picked up on the things you watched and repeated them ad nauseum. And we were like, I do not need the word idiot that much in my life. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I would recommend this movie to a sleeping one month old baby in a Snuggie. Yeah. Because, uh, well, I was going to say, because you'll turn out all right. <laughs> you'll turn out. <laughs> 
<laughs> You'll survive till adulthood. <laughs> and that's that's enough. That's a parent's job. Just get you there. <laughs> so I do want to, as always, say that as we come close to the end of the Silver Era, we do plan to do a mailbag episode in between the eras. So if you want to send a question to the official Me, Mom, and the Mouse mailbag, you can send that to memommouse at gmail.com. Uh, you can ask us about... 101 Dalmatians, you can ask us about my harrowing experience watching 101 Dalmatian Street. You can ask us about things that have nothing to do with the podcast. Uh, we generally prefer questions to be Disney related. Yeah. But if you have a good question just about movies in general, maybe we'll answer that. <laughs> so that's me, mom, mouse at gmail.com. But that's going to do it for us this week. And if you liked the show, we hope you will come back next week for 1963's The Sword in the Stone. What do you think of that one, Mom? That one is another favorite of mine. And it ruined the King Arthur legends for me forever. <laughs> I gotta tell you, this is one of the ones I've been most excited to rewatch. Yeah. I cannot wait for Sword in the Stone. Yep. Fortunately, you people don't have to wait. You get it next week. And until then, I'm me. I'm Mom. And it all started with a mouse. Poison it! Drown it! Bash it on the head! Use chloroform! <laughs>